0: Uh, First of all, I didn't introduce myself, my name is Fred Baker, I'm the lead pastor here and I'm glad uh, y'all are here. Uh, Last week, we talked about how Jesus is greater than our good enough. Uh, He's greater uh, than our very best effort and we talked about how in all of us, there is this nagging desire to try to make God happy by doing our best, by working hard and how our God, because of Jesus, Our work is never good enough. That's the the, the irony of it is is no matter how hard we work, what we discover is that our work is never good enough to make God happy because Jesus has done all the work for us. His work is what's good enough. But yet, there's still this nagging desire to kind of present our best effort. And last week, we saw how Jesus is better than that. But this week, we're going to see that uh, how last week we tried to see how Jesus is greater than our best effort. This week, we're going to see that Jesus is greater than our best offering. And here's here's what I mean by that. Not only is Jesus better than our best effort, he's better than our best offering. In in, in that we try and make God happy not just by by trying to do our best, trying to be our best, trying to work hard. But we also uh, try and make God happy by showing him our best. By our best offering. We try and make God happy by, by, by hiding the worst and showing the best. Now, kids do this all the time, right? When you were a kid, you did this. When you were a kid and told, don't get a cookie out of the cookie jar, what did you do? You went for the forbidden fruit, right? And you got a delicious, warm still from the oven, chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar and you had it and it was delicious and you looked at your hands and they were covered in chocolate. So what did you do? You, 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 you ran to the, to the kitchen towel and you wiped your hands off just as your parent walked in, your mom or dad walked in and they said, did you have a cookie? And you turn around and you say no as crumbs are falling from your face as your parents look over your shoulder and see chocolate all over the towel, they see the cookie jar lid still open. But what do you do? You show your clean hands. See, I didn't, I didn't have a cookie. And we do that all the time. We do that with God, we do that with people. And what happens when we do that, and what we're gonna see today is that our offerings, those offerings that we do to cover sin only hide the real sin. This little kid who offered up their clean hands as the offering really was just hiding the real sin of actually taking what wasn't theirs. When we do this all the time with God and with people, we we, we tell only part of the story, the part which makes us look the best, right? We leave out some convenient facts. When you're you're telling your, your best friend about the fight you had with your spouse, right, it's her fault, right, it's his fault. Right? It's certainly not your fault. You, you, you tell the part of the story that makes you look good. In your circles, when you, when you share a prayer request, you share the simple prayer request, not the real prayer request. Right? Because a simple prayer request is a great offering, but it hides the real issue. Um, You know, part of my story, I didn't come to Christ. I didn't become a Christian until I was a senior in college, and so I didn't grow up in church. And there's this phenomenon in church that I had never experienced until I had moved to Tennessee, and it's the unspoken prayer request. Anybody have that in a prayer group? Somebody raises their hand and says, I have an unspoken prayer request. And my question was always like, well, then how do we know if it's answered? Will you tell us you have an unspoken praise, and we're just supposed to assume that those two things were connected? See, it's this simple prayer request that hides the real prayer request, And when I say we do it, I mean we do it. I do it, you do it, we do this. We we offer up these things to hide the real thing. But what I hope that we see today is that we don't have to do that. We don't have to do it anymore. We don't have to do it ever again. That we can always present the real offering because Jesus is greater than our best offering. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Uh, if you need a Bible, there's some in front of you. It's on page 844 of that Bible. Or I told you I was going to talk about the Bible app. You can, if you have a smartphone, you can download the Bible app um, and click on events and then click on Fellowship Asheville. And that pulls up everything, the announcements, the click here's to sign up for stuff. And it has the scripture we're using and a place for you to take notes. It even has questions for you to consider after the message as you want to process the message. And we're in this series called Greater Than, which if you're new to fellowship, that's what this symbol is, because we're seeing how Jesus is greater than all different kinds of things as we go through the book of Hebrews, that he's greater than our ups and our downs, he's greater than our fears, he's greater than our doubts, he's greater than our best efforts, he's greater than our best offerings, he's greater than our failures, he's greater even than our successes. And so let's dive in today to see how Jesus really is greater than our very best offering. He's greater than anything we can, we can give to God. Look at, at chapter five, verse one. It says, for every high priest, and I'm gonna stop right here because what you're gonna see in this book of Hebrews, the next few chapters are, are gonna talk a lot about a high priest. Um, and, and, and we've touched on this, this, this position in, in, the, in, in ancient Israel before. And, and so if you were to take an organizational flow chart of the spirituality of the nation of Israel, of the church, or the tabernacle, as it were, for them, if you were to take an organizational flowchart of that, the high priest would be at the very tip top of that organizational flowchart. He was the person that everything funneled up to, and in his role, in his office, he represented God to man and man to God. That's what the high priest did. And as we go through this book of Hebrews, and as we talk about the high priest a lot, what you're going to see is that the person who, who gave this sermon that we call Hebrews, that person, every time he mentioned the high priest, I know, I feel the same way. That hour or less of sleep was awful, isn't it? Um, um, seriously, how many of y'all are just tired today? Amen. All right, let's go on. Um, every time this, this, this preacher mentions a high priest, he's going to talk about something specific in his role that that we need to know and understand. And today is going to be one of those. The the rest of verse 1 says this, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So what he's doing here is he's taking this office of high priest, and he's pointing out this offering that he made. Now, just as a reminder, you know, it's called Hebrews. What we don't know about this book is who wrote this book. We don't know who, who who spoke this book because we know that this was a sermon that was preached, but we don't know who the preacher was. We don't know who the person was that wrote down those letters. What we do know is that it was, to a group of Hebrews, a group of people who grew up in the nation of Israel and who understood the feasts and festivals. They understood the days of fasting. They understood the traditions of, of Israel, and we don't. So part of my job as we go through this book is to connect some dots that if you were a Hebrew audience you would intrinsically know because you grew up in a Jewish home. Today is one of those days where there's some dots that need to be connected because what this preacher is referring to when he talks about offering gifts and sacrifices for sins is he's talking about a particular thing called Yom Kippur is what it's called or the Day of Atonement. And it's found in Leviticus 16. And and, and what this day was, the the Jewish nation had lots of festivals and feasts where they would celebrate the goodness of God, celebrate the deliverance of God, and there would be food and friends, and and it was a great time. Yom Kippur is a different, it's a different celebration. It's not a a feast, it's a fast. And so instead of having lots of food, they had no food for a fast. And, And instead of celebrating, it was somber because the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is about your sin and about the sin of the nation. And it was, it was a day set aside to remember sin. Doesn't that sound fun? But what this high priest would do on the Day of Atonement is there would be two goats. And uh, they were chosen by lottery, so winners, losers, I don't know how you want to label that. But these two goats would be presented to the high priest. And one goat he would take and sacrifice. And he would take the blood of that goat and he would go into the most holy place in the tabernacle. And he, the high priest was the only person that could enter that tabernacle. And then he would take some of the blood of that goat and he would sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant that was in there. And, and it represented the fact that we have a just God who is holy and we are unholy. And for us to have a relationship with God, there has to be a bridge to, to, to join those two things, to join the unholy to the holy, and there has to be sacrifice to make the unholy clean so that the holy doesn't become unholy. And that's what this sacrifice represented. The, the, the theological term is propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath. That's what this goat represented, that sin has been dealt with. This other goat He actually won the lottery because what happens to him is that the high priest puts his hand on this goat's head and announces over this goat all the sins of the nation. So he'd stand there and talk about the greed of the nation, the impatience of the nation, um, the lust of the nation, the pride of the nation, and he would announce all these sins over this goat, and then somebody would take this goat outside of the city outside uh, of the boundaries of the city into the wilderness and let this goat loose in the wilderness and so in one goat you saw how sin is satisfied how the how the The the, the punishment of sin is satisfied in one sacrifice and how God sees sin after that happens, after propitiation has happened and the wrath of God has been satisfied, then God doesn't see sin anymore in his people. It is gone. It is outside of the camp. So that when he sees his nation, he sees them as he has always intended them to be. And that's what this picture of the day of atonement is. And it's found in Leviticus 16. One goat deals with sin justly. The other one shows how God deals with it practically. And it's removed and it's gone. And so what this, what this preacher is showing is he's showing that this high priest offers sacrifices. That's part of what he does. Look at verse 2. It says, uh, where am I? Uh, verse two, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. So not only does this high priest offer sacrifices, he is this gentle person in dealing with sin, in particular with two different people. It says the ignorant and the, and the, and the wayward. And, and the ignorant are the people who sin but don't know that they're sinning. Right, they, didn't, they don't think it's pride, they think they're just right. Right, they don't think it's lust, they just think it's natural. And the high priest deals gently with them. And then there's this other group called the wayward. And what this means is this means somebody who is led into sin and doesn't even know that they're being led that way. And the high priest deals gently with them. And this is how he's able to do it in the rest of verse 2. It says he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. And so what this high priest does, he understands that that, you know, you've heard the term, there by the greats of God go I. And, 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 and he understands that, listen, I could be just as ignorant. I could be just as wayward. And, and this compassion that he has, this gentleness that he has, is because of his humility. And so this, this preacher wants us to know that not only does this high priest offer sacrifices, this high priest also has this compassion that comes from this place of humility. Now, this guy sounds great, doesn't he? Don't you want him for your pastor? Right? That's the that's what the preacher is of Hebrews is 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 trying to say. This guy sounds great. And look, look at the source of his humility. Look what it's fueled, what fuels his compassion. In verse 3, it says, Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So apart. Of the Day of Atonement, a part of Yom Kippur, which I didn't say, is what the the high priest has to do before he sacrifice before he sacrifices this little goat and sends the other one out into the wilderness. Part of the Day of Atonement involved the high priest getting alone with God, and what he would do is he would take a ritual bath to show his own purity, and then he would have to sacrifice. Uh, an offering for himself, for his own sin. Not the sin of the nation, but his own sin. And what it says in Leviticus 16 that he had to sacrifice for himself was a bull, a cow. And the picture here is amazing. The entire nation gets this little goat, gets two little goats. But this high priest has an entire cow that he has to sacrifice for himself before God for his own sin, And so what this shows is that this offering that he had to offer for himself was bigger than the offering he had to offer for the entire nation of Israel, for all the sins of an entire nation. And what this does is it creates humility in this high priest that his sins were bigger than the sins of the nation. And I'm going to take a little diversion real quick right here because I want us to talk about this picture of humility, right? that We're all in relationships with people. We have, we have spouses, we have kids, we have friends, we have coworkers. And the tension is when, when those relationships get messy and when there's conflict in those relationships, our our immediate response, or at least my immediate response, maybe not yours, this, this actually helped me quite a bit this week. My immediate response is actually that's their fault, not my fault. But what this sacrifice shows us is when you approach a relationship and your sin is bigger than their sin, that's humility. When I stand up in front of you and realize that my own pride and my own arrogance and my own lustfulness and my own malice, my own impatience is greater than yours, I can treat you with gentleness. I can treat you with humility. When I go through that list, And you say, wow, I'm glad that's his list and not my list. You can't treat me with gentleness. But when you say, man, I wish my list was that short. When your sin is greater than my sin, you can be gentle toward me. See how this works. And that's the picture of this high priest, that he understood that his sin was greater than the sin of the entire nation. And therefore, he could love them and he could treat them gently. But there's one word that this preacher puts in here that tweaks this just a little bit. Because if you notice, it says that that he had obligated sacrifices. See the word obligated there? What that means is this view of humility was forced on him. What that means is there was probably one or more high priests that offered the sacrifice of the cow for themselves because they had to, but they really thought they needed a goat. That the nation needed two cows, not two goats. You see, this view was forced on the high priest. And he had to do this step before he offered the sacrifice for the nation. Look what else this preacher wants to highlight about the high priest in verse 4. It says, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So this person was chosen by God uh, to be a part of the priesthood of Aaron. Now, Aaron was Moses' brother. And Aaron was the very first high priest for the nation of Israel. And so what this preacher is doing is in every high priest since Aaron, every high priest that's ever had the title high priest is connected to Aaron which is a pretty good connection, right? The high priest connects to Aaron. Now remember, we're talking about how Jesus is greater than our very best offering. And so what this preacher just did here is he described the very best offering anybody could produce. This high priest is your guide. Right, If you were gonna stand before God, you would want this high priest standing there with you or you would want to be him because this guy has humility, this guy has gentleness, this guy has compassion, he has sacrifice, he has this calling from God that he was chosen by God and he has this, this link to tradition, to, the, to, the, to Aaron. Like he's connected to Moses' his brother. This is the best offering you could come up with. But now this preacher is gonna show how Jesus is greater than even that. Look at verse five. It says, so also Christ did not exalt himself uh, to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him. So Jesus also has this calling and appointment by God. And look at what this calling looks like. By him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He says also in another place, you are a priest forever." after the order of Melchizedek. And so what this preacher is doing is he's, he's reminding them of the verse that we've seen multiple times in Hebrews. Today you are, today I have begotten you, today you are my son. And, and so there's this relationship between God and Jesus that's better than any other relationship. But then he's also gonna say that he's a priest. And then he's gonna pull out this word where if you were a Hebrew audience and you heard him say, a high priest is of the priesthood of Aaron, but Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek, you'd go, whoa. Mind blown. We look at it and go, "Who Mel-, K- M- M- uh, Mel? We'll just call him Mel, right? How is Jesus connected to Mel? Well, here's 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 what is here's one of those dots that I need to connect. Melchizedek goes back further. Than Aaron and goes back further than Moses, goes back all the way to the beginning of your Bible in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 14 is where Melchizedek shows up. And Melch- in, in Genesis 14 is, is, is telling the storyline of, of Abraham. Um, and Abraham was uh, the, the father of the nation of Israel and God used him uh, to, to birth the nation of Israel. And, and Abraham had just finished this battle And uh, in ancient days, when you you conquered an area, you took all their possessions as your own. And so Abraham has all these spoils of war. And then this guy named Melchizedek shows up. And Genesis 14 says something very unique about this guy, Melchizedek. It says that that he is the king of Salem. In, In Hebrew, that's the king of Shalom. So he is the king of peace. And it says he is the priest of the God Most High. And so Melchizedek is his only person besides Jesus. In in, in all scriptures where you see two titles resting on him, king and priest, and any other time you see people take on both those titles, it doesn't go good for them. Like death is what happens, right? But Melchizedek shows up and he's the king of peace and he's a priest of the God most high and Abraham does something very unique. Abraham makes an offering to him. In Genesis 1420, it says this. It says, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Genesis 14 20. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So when Abraham met this guy, his natural response was to take all the spoils that he, that he just got and to give Melchizedek a tenth of it. And he did it as an act of worship. Just, out of, just, just so you know, this is where we get our idea of a tithe being a tenth is from this moment right here where, where Abraham offered a tenth to Melchizedek uh, and that became the standard offering uh, for the nation of Israel. And so Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe as an act of worship. So, just like we talk about here, how your offering, how your tithe is an act of worship, that's where this comes from. And, and, and here's the preacher's point Do you know how many high priests there are in the line of Aaron? Lots and lots. Do you know how many high priests there are in the order of Melchizedek? Just two Mel and Jesus. That's it. And what this preacher is saying is that Jesus is priesthood is even better than the high priest priesthood a high priest is connected to Aaron Jesus connects to Melchizedek he's a greater priest look at verse 7 in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears and so this high priest was obligated to offer sacrifices Jesus however is offering prayer and notice there's no obligation but there is sacrifice in his offering It's loud cries and with tears uh, to the only one who can save. And so Jesus had this sacrificial offering. Look at the rest of verse 7. It says, In the days of the flesh, which is when Jesus was walking on earth, that's what that's referring to, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Where the high priest had this compassion that was fueled by humility, Jesus's reverence was forged through suffering. And this idea of learning obedience is what we talked about last week where where Jesus was tempted in every way we are. Like he didn't have an iPad, he wasn't tempted that way, but he was tempted with lust, right? He was tempted with jealousy, he was tempted with greed. And every time when he was tempted and the choice was to choose fear or faith, he chose faith. But he knew the temptation and he learned what obedience feels like because he was tempted in the same way that we are. And so what this preacher is saying is that Jesus' reverence came from suffering. And this, greater, this is greater than the high priest because of the reason Jesus had to suffer. It wasn't for his own gain. The reason he had to deal with this was because of you and me. And look at, look at verse nine. It says, in being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This this idea of being made perfect is the same thing. He too had to choose between faith and fear and always chose faith. And his offering is better because his offering grants salvation. The high priest only offered sacrifice. And it was temporary. You know how often the high priest had to do the day of atonement? Every year. You see, his sacrifice, the high priest sacrifice was temporary. Jesus's salvation is eternal. And that's our gospel, that Jesus offers salvation, that his death, burial, and resurrection paid the penalty for our sins so we can have this good and right and personal and intimate relationship with the God who loves us. And when we we understand that Jesus's death did that, and that our sin has no power over us, and we turn away from it and and confess it as sin and turn to repentance and turn to the Lord by saying yes to Jesus, that is our gospel. And a high priest can't do that. Only Jesus can. Now, for those of you who like this kind of thing, I wanna show you what this preacher did. It's called a chiasm, because what he does is he takes every point of the high priest and uses those same points to show how Jesus is better, right? Because he said, The high priest offers sacrifice. That was his first point. His last point is that Jesus offers salvation. His second point, the high priest's compassion came from humility. If you go to the next one up from the bottom, that Jesus' reverence came from suffering. Each time it's better. The high priest had obligated sacrifices. Jesus had a sacrificial offering. The high priest connects to Aaron. Jesus connects to Moses. In every way that you have this high priest, you have Jesus is a better one. And Jesus is a greater than high priest. Now then, I could stop here. That's fairly good teaching. Problem is, when somebody pulls out in front of you in the parking lot leaving the church, your first reaction isn't going to be, Jesus is a better high priest. Therefore, I better hold on to my steering wheel with both hands and not just one. You got that? See, not that tired. That's good. See, that's good teaching but I want to move from teaching to preaching real quick. Because you see, I would do us a disservice if I just left us with head knowledge about a better high priest. Instead of letting that sink down into our hearts. Because like I said at the beginning, we, we all bring these offerings to God. And, and when we bring these offerings to cover our sin, when we act like the high priest and we bring offerings, what we're doing is we're really covering up the real sin that our offerings to cover sin only hide our real sin. And church, we don't have a high priest. We have a Jesus. And we don't have to settle for a high priest. We don't have to settle for hiding our sin with good offerings, with a good tithe. And and, and we do that in so many ways, right? Because, Because we really do think that writing a check to the church does something, makes God happy, it's a good offering. What's interesting, when you look at all the tithes, all the offerings of the Old Testament, because we think if we give 10.0% of our income, whether gross or net, you can figure out which one you want, whichever one makes you feel better, but if we give 10.0%, we are satisfying the law of God. However, when you look at the Old Testament, they actually gave like 30% of their income. When you look at the New Testament, uh, what an offering is. When Jesus talked about making a tithe and making an offering, he never said if you give. He always said when you give. And when Paul talked about it, he, he didn't talk about giving 10%. The New Testament model for giving has a much more spirit, um, uh, spirit-filled relationship with giving because it says when you give, you are to give sacrificially. you know what that word means? It means you give till it hurts. It means when you give, you look at your year-end statement and think, man, I could have done a lot with that money. And for some of you, 3% hurts. For some of you, 40% begins to hurt. It just depends. But the New Testament model is that you give sacrificially. Why? Because Jesus is our offering. And writing a check for 10% it might just be checking the box. It might be presenting an offering and it's actually hiding the greed in your own heart or the fear in your own heart that if you gave 15%, you weren't gonna be able to make ends meet. You see, we do this all the time. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you a fairly bold question to consider as we talk about the offering that we present to cover our sin actually hides the real sin, here's the question I wanna ask you. What is the sin that you need to tell? See, I was uh, talking to a guy recently um, who had struggled with a particular sin for probably about 15 years and never told anybody. He thought he was the only one to struggle with this. Outside circumstances made him come to terms with the fact that he has to tell somebody. And so he did. And when he did, the sin that he held on to for so long was so common, people almost laughed when he shared it. Not at him. But laughed that he had been holding on to this for so long because it was so common. But he never told anybody. He thought he was all alone. And what he found when he confessed it is that actually it's incredibly common and there was great acceptance and there was great forgiveness and there was great freedom in telling the dark secret sin. And so we present these offerings to cover sin instead of letting Jesus deal with the real sin? What would happen today if you answered that question? What sin do you need to tell? What sin do you need to let Jesus be greater than? Is it pride? If you're sitting there thinking, I don't have anything, it's pride. Did I get you? You know, is it, is it something that you thought, if I say it to Jesus, if I say it out loud, they won't like me. Not here. At this church, you can be anything but a liar. Speak it. Speak it to Jesus. His death, and his resurrection has already forgiven you for that sin. Do you realize the only person holding on to that sin is you? Nobody else. What is the sin that you need to tell? What we're going to do is I want to give you some time to pray and to confess, to repent. I'm going to open this up in a time of prayer, and they're going to come up here and play a little bit of music for us, and I just want you to be with Jesus and say whatever that sin is and and confess it, realizing that you are forgiven. If you have said yes to Jesus, and if you're new to church, we are not about um, what you do and what you don't do. We are about Jesus. And the gospel is saying yes to Jesus. You can't be good enough. you, you, You can't come up with the best offering to make God happy. Jesus has already done that. And maybe today your offering of confession is saying yes to Jesus for salvation. Many of us have already done that. Your sin is to realize you are already forgiven for this sin, and you can bring it to the Lord and receive forgiveness and receive grace, and you will be free from this sin. And then maybe you need to turn to someone next to you or turn to the prayer team in the back and and confess that sin to them book of James says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be what? Healed. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. And so maybe you need to do that today. Let me pray for us, and then we'll have a time where you can just talk to God. Jesus, um, I pray we don't settle for a high priest anymore when we've got Jesus. We don't settle for a good offering when we have a greater offering. And Father, I pray that that we no longer hide from that sin. We no longer keep it secret. We confess it to you as the ugly sin that it is. And we stand confidently before you knowing that Jesus has already paid the price for it. And God, I pray for us as a congregation that we will experience freedom like we've never experienced before because of confession and repentance. And God, as we enter this time of prayer, I do pray for, for those who have nothing to say, that you would give them the thing to confess. I pray for those who are fearful to stand before you because of the ugliness of what they've done and the ramifications of what they've done. And God, that you would give them the boldness to stand up straight in your your presence because of Jesus. That they will look into your eyes and see a loving, good father.